In this podcast series, I'm talking to artists, musicians, filmmakers, actors, art lovers and other creatives. I'm exploring how curiosity and courage not only creates great art and fuels the arts, but cultivates a healthy mind too. These same attitudes are cultivated in mindfulness practice with significant scientific and evidence-based results in the treatment of depression, stress and anxiety. So I'm asking, can art save us and help change the global epidemic of mental illness? And this week I'm talking to a multi-multi-award winning documentary filmmaker, Barry Gibb. Barry has made over 100 films about science and a series of very powerful films documenting the human condition, receiving outstanding awards and numerous accolades. Barry explores life, death and time, and often in the deeply personal and difficult circumstances of his subjects. He's also a neuroscientist. His award-winning book, The Rough Guide to the Brain, was reviewed as excellent, for some as life-changing, and as a neural renaissance. Barry, thank you very, very much for joining me today. Wow, Paula, what an intro. Thank you. Let's have a chat. (laughs) (laughs) amazing amount of work my first thought Barry is I could also introduce you as an artist working in the medium of film and sound how does that make you feel compared to being introduced as a documentary filmmaker wow that is such an interesting question to start with because how it makes me feel is authentic because I think over the, the years that I've been doing this, I've actually come to feel like rather than being a, a filmmaker who sometimes touches on artistic themes and I do love a sort of poetic style in some of the films that I make, but actually increasingly I, I feel like an artist who is trying to carve out some kind of career in the world of filmmaking that touches on science. So yeah, it makes me feel authentic. Does it raise any discomfort for any reason when you put yourself in the front seat as an artist as opposed to a documentary filmmaker? Oh, absolutely. It's really easy for me to sit in a position as somebody who used to be a scientist and turn that knowledge towards the lens of filmmaking. But, of course, as soon as... I even start to think of myself a little bit as being touching on artistry, then imposter syndrome kicks in because I've worked with numerous artists and and I I don't feel like I I can touch them in terms of what their capabilities are. But it does feel like over time that that is more representative, I think, of of my approach to work. Certainly the work that appeals to me the most. Mm, yeah. And the work that appeals to you the most, would you say, is when you are in what appears to be incredibly sensitive and powerful emotional settings? You know what? I, when you actually look at the films that mean the most to me, there's absolutely no doubt <laughs> that for someone who is uh, an optimist, and tends to have a bright disposition that most of the films I make that I really value are about death (laughs) and dying and the end of life. But for some reason, 
that feels like the most important. I mean, to make money, I'll happily make films about vaccines and about uh, neglected tropical diseases and all the the things that that are challenging humanity and the world. And I love doing all that stuff. But put me in a room for an hour and I'll come up with a thought and idea to try and make some kind of film that touches on mortality and the end of life. And and I get a massive kick out of it. What is that kick? Because there are some really interesting films that we'll, we'll talk about in more detail. So, for example, when you're exploring time, life and death, you talk, you talk to a horologist, you talk to scientists, you talk to children. Um, what is that kick? Is it that you are trying to find a specific answer? Are you trying to answer something that concerns you about your own mortality? Yes, would be a short answer. And to expand on that a little, <laughs> I my first memory, if I can go back that far, is <laughs> <laughs> when I remember my mother crying, sobbing. I must have only been about four, something like that. And her father had died. My granddad had passed. And I just remember this vision of my mother being so upset, terribly upset and traumatized by the experience. And then I, helpfully, rather than trying to console her, just started screaming at her, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And that that really stayed with me. And I think that there was definitely a phase in my life where I was absolutely terrified of death. And I think part of the reason I'm drawn to this subject matter is a means of helping come to a place of acceptance and peace with the idea of death. But then even beyond that, there then comes a sense of, well, being at peace with the idea of death is one thing. So what do you do with your life? What do you do with the time that you have? And I think if there's one underlying thing that drives the sort of films that I love to make for myself, it's trying to create uh, an experience, a short film, that when people watch it, they come away with an enhanced, increased sense of value of the time that they themselves have in order to make the most of it, maybe. Well, it's an interesting um, exchange of ideas when you're talking to the horologist in one of your shorts, Exploring Time, and he actually says, I'm not obsessed with time. (laughs) It's much more, you know, the the physics of time, uh, the mechanics of his skills that he was interested in. But he does make the point of saying And actually, it's only now that matters. Yes, yes. And it was so interesting because, I mean, I just love talking to, you know, so you would expect to go and make a film about a horologist, uh, somebody who makes watches, and for the film to be about what he does. But of course, one of the things that I love doing playfully, I think, is just talking to people who may be an expert in watchmaking, but that get them to steer them down a path that, allows them to explore ideas around things like time and such. And after I showed him the film, he said, oh, you managed to make me sound really philosophical. And 
And I was slightly cautious because I didn't want him to feel that his words had been manipulated. But actually, I think he was really happy that he came away from it sounding, you know, thoughtful about the ideas of, of, of time and such. Yeah, well, you helped extract that, hadn't you? Just just through your your natural way of of exploring the idea with him, that you extracted that that is actually how he thought of time that only now matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he, it just struck me as implausible that somebody who spends so much time alone focusing on the minutiae of mechanical watchmaking and the artistry and the engineering of it doesn't spend a lot of time inside their own head. And I, and I, and I wanted to try and tease out of him the sense of, of time, timeliness of time in and of itself as being a property of his existence. And, and so and, and wanting to to reach that point, I guess that that's the whole purpose of that particular film, really. I guess is him, for someone who isn't obsessed with time, but who also spends all his time <laughs> making objects that measure time. That that for him, he recognised that now the present moment is the most valuable part of time that there is, which of course ties into ideas of mindfulness. Exactly, and I know you have your own practice in mindfulness. Yeah. And so that's even more interesting to me because whilst you're exploring time, life and death and mindfulness, of course, heightens the importance of now, how you're reconciling those issues, perhaps, that you have around dying or death, future concerns with actually practising your mindfulness in terms of now. How does that help you, perhaps, when you consider all of these subjects? whether it's for yourself or whether it's for the subjects you're talking to um, that even have life-limiting experiences? Oh, that's a, that's a big old question. I think, well, in my own practice, I've been practising meditation, mindfulness medita- meditation for about seven years now. And certainly, to begin with, I found it quite emotional, uh, the experience of the practice making me more aware of and sit within the present moment because I think I had spent a lot of my life perhaps regretting things uh, that had happened, uh, being anxious about things that hadn't happened and actually the peace that I found in the present moment was uh, quite extraordinary. So in that sense I think it informs my work because I'm always wanting to draw that out in the films that mean the most to me. And Paula, could, could you, if there's another, could you help me answer this question? Help me break it down a little bit. What, what, mm. what specifically would you like me to try and answer? There's a dilemma, I think, when, of course, you're dealing with such emotionally powerful and meaningful subjects like time, life and death. But when you know that there's also this appreciation of mindfulness and the importance of now and the present moment, how you manage that dilemma in terms of being able to be in these settings dealing with those questions? Well, that yeah, well, I think one of the aspects of, of my own practice is just being a coming to terms with, I mean, as I said earlier, I was afraid of, if not terrified, of the idea of death. And so coming to a point 
where not only have I been able to accept it, but that in turn has given its own sense of liberation that you now do your best to inhabit the present moment and through your work try and encourage others. And it's funny, even as I say that, I'm like, why, why, why do you, why do you care? <laughs> why are you spending your time in your, like this artistic practice of filmmaking, trying to encourage other people? And I, th- I think it's because, uh, I suppose I, I, I believe what is the point of any of it, of any of these moment-to-moment existences that we have, if you can't sit happily within your present? But at the same time, you're exercising that healthy role of curiosity, aren't you? And mindfulness encourages that practice of curiosity, of self-inquiry, of of gentle observation in order to be self-aware. Oh, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like the final frontier. Everybody often says that neuroscience is like the final frontier of science. But I'm not entirely convinced now. I think mindfulness might be because, you know, most people are curious as children. And, and of course, as you said in the introduction, I became a scientist. And that was fantastic because you get to understand how the world works. And then as you, you get on with your scientific career, you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. But now I think I'm actually more interested in how people work. And I think that's one of the things about mindfulness is that it just not only helps you understand a little bit more about other people, but also, I think it really the final frontier is really truly coming to terms with who you are as a person and how you behave and how you interact with people and how you perceive the world around you. That, for me, is, is amazing. The role of curiosity is really clear in, in all of your work, you know, whether you're exploring hard science, um, but also understanding people's human existence. But I'm also interested in what the role of courage has in your art and in your life because you're you're often in very sensitive circumstances you know for example I remember when you made the coma shorts people in coma the impact on their their, their families you know the people closest to them their their recovery if it happened or perhaps not but also uh the gift which is a film um that's won, I think, a minimum of 15 awards. Um, In that film, you're actually given complete access, actually, to the artist Barbara Bird, who has um, a terminal illness. um, And she is quite happy, isn't she, for you to witness the entire process, including her death. That requires so much courage and sensitivity I wondered if you could tell me where do you find your courage to do that and also to tell us about how the film came about okay (laughs) so how I met Barbara was in my pursuit of trying to understand how different people perceive time I wanted to talk to people who are aware of their own mortality. It, I mean, you're talking about questions, Paula. That, that's the kind of question that just comes to mind. You know, you know, I wonder how somebody would feel about time if they knew they were dying. And in my head, it sounds like the simplest question in the world, just an innocent question. And then, of course, the reality is getting in touch with organisations like Living Well, Dying Well, and saying, well, in, in a way that, 
you hope you don't come across as insensitive. You're, you're saying, do you think that anybody might be interested in talking to me? You're, so you're basically reaching out to the world and saying, look, if you know you're dying, there's a filmmaker that would like to have a chat with you. And amazingly, loads of people got back, <laughs> apparently. It was really popular. And I suppose if you reflect on it a little bit, it's not entirely surprising because... In some ways, the idea of being interviewed can act as a little bit of a, a sort of a legacy, an opportunity to share. And, a, and it's nice to be asked. You know, the so, like what we're doing now, how many times in your life yeah. do you actually have the opportunity to talk to somebody who's genuinely interested in what you want to, to say? And so Barbara was one of the people who uh, reached out. And all I knew about Barbara was that she was a Californian artist who was living in Hastings and... And I thought, oh, she sounds cool <laughs> with with her Californian accent and everything. And so <laughs> went down and met her. And initially, really, all I was wanting to do was essentially ask the same set of questions to Barbara as I'd asked to the horologist and such. You know, it was really just I had these questions about time and life. And I mean, that, that first interview really sticks in my mind because... I mean, quite quickly into it. I mean, I think the whole interview lasted about an hour to 70 minutes and, and Barbara uh, started crying quite quickly into it. And of course, I feel as a filmmaker and a human being, I have a responsibility not to traumatise somebody, not to upset them. And I, at several points, I, I asked if she would like us to just stop and take a breath or, or just not continue. Yeah. But she wanted to keep yeah. going. She wanted to keep going through her tears so that was a genuinely interesting uh, experience because because I did feel like I was on the, the the sort of edge of what it was lovely that Barbara wanted me to continue but I, I you know you don't want to feel that in your yourself that you should stop so I suppose that there was an element of uh, courageousness there even though I would never it doesn't feel like it at the time and, and we got to the end of the interview and it was in the course of that, that that Barbara said that she was interested in leaving her body to science. And then, of course, you know, my background, I'm now making a film about somebody that is dying and suddenly these worlds of time and death and science all come together because I, my brain just went, well, what about the possibility of making a film about somebody before and after their life and to somehow you know bring their voice not not back from the dead but to just be able to impart some of their thinking about the world and life and living from their perspective in a way that felt more poetic you know everybody talks when they're alive <laughs> but the opportunity mm. to hear what somebody thought about life and living and time and death at a time when they were alive but knowing they were going to die and then seeing and hearing those perspectives from a place of knowing they are dead I think that I hoped that that would just add a, a really interesting and, and moving uh, perspective to, to what she was saying and sorry we Sorry to interrupt. Mm. I was just going to say it seemed that um, you gave voice to the gift 
that she wanted to impart. Thank you for that observation, because one of the things that came up in our earlier conversations was because we got on well. That was the thing. We were pals. It's it's quite strange to be becoming friends with somebody who just at the point where you're becoming a real friend, they die. Um, so we were having these conversations about Barbara's work doing collage art. And I sort of just sort of th- this throwaway comment. That's a bit like editing, really. You know, you're just taking pictures and mixing them up and stuff like that. So from the very outset, it felt like we were having this sort of dynamic collaboration where she had her artistic collage and I had my editing and we wanted to approach and it does feel still like it was it was completely a collaboration we wanted to approach the film from a perspective that almost made it feel like her art like collage and and yes she refers to the fact that if you leave something behind it's a gift for those that can then experience it and of course within the context of the film she is talking about you know, objects uh, or letters or pieces of art and stuff like that. But yeah, the idea was in a slightly meta way to make the film part of that gifting process for the for the viewer of the film. I also saw it as an exchange of gifts throughout the whole film. I don't know how that idea resonates with you. So there's very clearly this idea of a gift to science I am donating my body to science she gifted herself to science is very clear but I also felt that theme was clear throughout the whole film in terms of exchanges of gifts in different forms it could be the exchange of courage between friends that were being supportive it could be the exchange of courage in fact between you and Barbara because she had to be courageous to allow this filmmaking process you know it's such a difficult time and you equally had to find courage from the beginning to the end of the process because I imagine there must have been quite a lot of emotional ups and downs and tensions perhaps in terms of how you thought that through wow yeah wow yes because you're reminding me. I, I love the idea that you th- you saw it as a series of gifts. Uh, I, I, you know what? And I hadn't even occurred to me that her giving her body to science was in and of itself a gift. That had literally oh, well. never occurred to me. It's so <laughs> interesting when other people wow. see your work. I know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, amazing. Anyway, so in terms of the, the, the courageous aspect of it, after that first interview that Barbara had, had clearly been quite upset through and, and and for people who've not seen the film i mean she was only like 47 you know i mean to be dying of breast cancer at such a young age is uh it is in and of itself a tragedy and um so i was in a situation where she we'd had this interview and wrapped up and i went home and i listened to it and i watched her and it took me about a month to sort of drum up the courage to, yeah, courage to actually write to her and say, hey, Barbara, <laughs> it was really nice. Mm. It was really nice to meet you and interview you. And what you said about leaving your body to science really resonated with me. And I wondered if you'd be open to the idea of us filming over an extended period of time, as long as it goes on for, 
and we could capture moments of your life. You know, we could have some fun. And I could also try and capture your body being donated to medical science. And 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 she 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 really liked the idea. So that was that was the difficult bit because it's the first time in my life, and I think I suspect it might be the only time in my life that you actually write to someone who is alive and you're talking about them in the past tense because you both know they're not here forever. Mm. So that was a that was a really strange uh, thing to do. I think all artists are sensitive souls. And the, the idea of asking that of another human being uh, felt, well, it felt like a massive ask. <laughs> it is a massive yeah. ask. Yeah, you have to be quite brave to even ask that in the first place. When you talked about drumming up the courage for about a month, I'm really interested in, in that process. How do you drum it up? What motivates it? Where does it come from in terms of enabling you to work as an artist how do you drum up the courage what makes you finally take that step that's a a great question and I and I think the answer to that for me in this instance was to have a very concrete plan in the sense that there's no point asking somebody you know can I film you up to and beyond your death if you don't have an idea of how you're going to use it so I sat down and I thought to myself, from what the limited that I knew about Barbara, okay, if we were going to do this, what's the film about? What's the film really about? How could we tell that story? What are the scenes, the things that you would need to film in order to try and help tell that story? So it was only when I felt that there was a real sense of what a finished film might be that I felt confident enough to approach her and not waste the limited time, the uncertain amount of time of her life that she had left. Because when I first met Barbara, the the doctors were saying that she could live for another decade. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't didn't know that. No. So it was a surprise to both of us when it was uh, less than two years after I met her that she ultimately died. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had the impression um, that maybe it was known it was quite short and it was already brutal that it had become maybe less than two years. But to go from a decade to two years or less, I mean, there are so many impacts, aren't there? And yeah. for her to process. Yeah, yeah. And the other, if you don't mind, Paula, I just touch on the other thing that took a little bit of courage was uh, working with, Barbara and her husband Mark because who you rarely see in the film is this Mm. lovely man who (sighs) take your own time with it Barry because this emotional journey is absolutely huge who watched his wife die and of course Mm. the 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 the, the fact that he was uh, able to allow this process to happen uh, was, was incredibly generous of him. And I felt like every mm. time I was together with them both or with Barbara, uh, he was lovely in the sense that he never made me feel like it was an imposition I was getting in the way 
of the limited precious time that they had. So, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was worth yeah. pointing out. That, uh, he- oh, absolutely. Because the significance of that generosity, which I think also generosity um, is an act of courage often. And in that setting, clearly an act of his courage too, to have to allow that he could have felt deeply protective of their last time, mo- literally last moments together. I mean, yeah. you've got some very profound shots in there at the end where I think it's a hospice setting by the end. Yes, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that because the weird thing about that moment is that uh, I knew that Barbara w- was really ill at this stage. So I went to St. Michael's Hospice in Hastings uh, to visit her and Sam, uh, Barbara's wonderful end-of-life doula, and Mark was there, her husband. And and I never took my camera because, one, it didn't feel like the right moment to, to whip a camera out in a hospice. Uh, and also, it, it I just wanted to see her. I just wanted to sort of spend a bit of time with her. And, and I'd never imagined in the, the film that I wanted to film Barbara actually dying to me that felt like a a simple cheap shorthand for someone's life I, 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 I thought it was far more important to me to show her before and after we you know the 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 moment of passing was in some ways for my thinking irrelevant other than the great sadness that was part of it and when we were in that room and Barbara and I had always talked about, you know, trying to film as much as possible. And it was actually Mark that came up to me and said, so you're going to, you're going to film anything. And I, and I said, well, I, I didn't bring my camera and I wasn't sure if it, it doesn't, doesn't feel, it feels like I'm intruding. And, and he said, and he was just matter of fact, he said, but you and Barbara spoke about this. So, and he just basically left open and he went and sat with her on the bed and I, that, that shot is actually on my phone. Yeah. And, and I just took the shot and uh, and that was that. And then I think, oh, I think it was maybe 24 hours later or so, uh, I discovered that she'd actually gone. So, so that was, yeah, that was a pretty powerful moment. Yeah. And he completely honoured it, didn't he? He completely honoured, honoured her. It's, um, it's quite profound that in the short film, you do only see her husband in that very shot in the hospice. And it's quite clear that we are very near the end or as it turns out, the last 24 hours. Um, because it, again, it's just such a deeply personal uh, moment, you know, such a powerful moment, but that he's allowed this camera to, to witness that and to honor her wishes. Um, I just wondered whether once you left that setting, um, say that very day that you'd you'd captured those shots and you go home, whether that kind of catapulted you back into your own reflections on life, death, and how you felt yourself in terms of having the ability to see this through because there's more of the story to come yet. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, ah. It was that was a really difficult day actually because that was the first time up until that point I'd seen Barbara and we'd hung out and there was very little visual evidence of her being that bad. I mean, you could tell the medication 
she had good days, bad days and stuff, but she was always so chipper and we had a laugh together and stuff like that. But on that day in particular, she was in and out of consciousness. She looked terrible. And and I kind of, yeah, I went home and there was an element of, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) What are you doing? This is... This is this is terrible. This is horrible. This is draining. This is tragic. And I guess I, I just turned that those feelings into an attempt to to honor her memory as powerfully as I possibly could. So yeah, it I mean, I I guess I just tried to do what I could within the edit to tap into those feelings. And, and just try and make sure that the gift that she'd given me as a filmmaker wasn't wasted, that someone else could watch this film and really get a sense of who she was and how lovely she was and, and her, her, her courage, her bravery in sharing these, these moments of her life. Her courage obviously was constant from beginning to end throughout that whole film in terms of her consent as well. But it seems that you have to kind of almost constantly drum up the courage again, you know, at these profound points, you know, to, to because it is so draining, you know, can you actually commit, you know, and, and find the courage again? Obviously you did. But it's interesting how, as an artist, you have that relationship with your own courage in order to deliver it is what it is that you want to show or express or raise or discuss. The, the the hard part after I, I felt a little ill for the twenty four hours after I discovered that Barbara had died and I had no idea what was going on and I had to go to the hospital and get myself checked out and everything. I think it, it actually had a more profound effect on me than I realized because I think two days after Barbara died, I was then filming her body in the morgue. <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing, it's a nervous laugh, uh, because mm-hmm. even as I say it out loud, it sounds, it sounds <laughs> very unusual to say the least. The least. And uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like you're challenging yourself to do the, 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 the most extreme thing possible. And I promise you, it had nothing to do with that. From the very get-go, we had... Barbara and I had discussed that we would film her body after death. And so Holly, the undertaker, had arranged for me uh, to come in. And suddenly I'm in the morgue and I'm looking at Barbara on a slab. And the only way I was able to fully get through that properly, professionally, was to continue our collaboration I stopped looking at Barbara's body as her corpse and I saw her body as a thing of beauty that I explored with the lens that is how I got through it that is how I still think of it and I knew that in the act of trying to capture what I hope were pretty beautiful shots of her at peace that it felt like I was uh, honouring her body and also honouring her work in life, the, the collage. That, that was part of the idea that you would almost uh, build a sense of her body from all these little fragments of her that you would, because you never normally see 
uh, I guess most people don't really want to often see a corpse in such intimate detail, but it felt absolutely appropriate given the nature of, of the film and that sort of collaborative journey that we'd been on together. Yeah, and also the shots are very sensitive. None of them feel intrusive. So there's a very simple wide shot of Barbara's body in in that setting. But you also choose very almost delicate close-ups, perhaps of the eye, and you can see the eyelashes very clearly. So it's very, very simple, very minimal shots, um, but they're very sensitively done. What, what, what brought you to those specific choices? Thank you. I think it was that I wanted, even in death, Barbara to look beautific. It's kind of hard to convey how at peace somebody feels when they're gone. All of the suffering, it's really, it's really quite extraordinary. People tell you this, but when you're actually standing in the presence of somebody who you know that earlier that week was in an extreme amount of pain, and then you suddenly see them utterly still, utterly serene, there is something absolutely captivating about that. And I just allowed myself to go with that and to see her as this human form, almost like a piece of marble, this artistic form. That, it, And I always think that life, I love macro photography, and I always think that life through a lens looks far more interesting when you enable someone to see it from almost any other perspective than the one that they would normally see. So whether that's, you know, that's why people love drone shots, macro shots, time lapse, it just always manages to make the brain go, huh. So I think there was something in the idea of, I, I recognise that a viewer of the film would probably have quite a natural sense of shock and, and being slightly aghast at looking at a dead person and I think I almost wanted to bring them with me in a way that they could get beyond that to appreciate okay it's not the fact that she's dead it's it's the fact that she's still beautiful even in death and listening to her speaking from you know if you like beyond the grave combined with that imagery just hopes hopefully just raised her I guess to a level of something more and, and it's interesting that you say that, I mean, early on in the edit, of course, it would have been kind of easy to have fragments of Barbara's body shown in, in macro. And then at the, only at the very end do you see her entire body on the in the morgue. But actually, I didn't want to do that to the viewer. It felt cheap. I thought, no, no, if you're going to watch this, I want you to know from the very moment you start, this woman is dead. You are listening to the words of somebody who was on this earth and is now no longer here. Yeah. And I think that your your treatment is so respectful that for me anyway, as a viewer, it, it, it didn't feel shocking. And I have my experiences of losses through um, terminal cancer. And I know how traumatising it is for the patient and everyone around them. I think your sense of respect and your gentle treatment of this journey as a whole really helped remove shock. So this doesn't feel like 
morbid curiosity. Good. <laughs> this feels like healthy curiosity. And and a shared art, your collaborative collage, it was very much a shared art and it reflected her art of living. And I felt that she was very um, buoyant and uh, positive about how she would use her time. And she was also quite keen early on to express that death could be celebrated. She didn't want her death to just feel tragic or feel loss. And she was finding different meanings to that. Inevitably, within this short film, amazing how much you capture in such a such few minutes, she's inevitably tearful and upset and, and at one point expresses she doesn't know if she can do this. You know, she is battling for her own courage, her own sense of acceptance. How did you feel when you recorded her uh, or when you you saw her so tearful saying, I don't know if I can do this. Whew. Well, as a, as a human being, uh, that was really moving because when you'd watch it, I mean, I asked Barbara to phone these diary moments on her phone. It's incredibly hard to get people to do that. And uh, I was hugely grateful for these clips that she started to send me. And then, of course, this one comes in. And I watch it and it's impossible to watch it without being moved because it's so bereft of hope. And for all of her smiles and her gumption and her courage, you can tell this is just wearing her down. Uh, So, yeah, that was incredibly moving. And of course, the second thing I thought was that's got to go in the film, because from the filmmaking perspective, it's moments like that that help an audience really you you can't have a one-dimensional person if Barbara had been happy all the time and then died okay that's Mm. that's one approach but the truth was is that she was a very courageous woman putting on a brave face and and it, it was taking a huge amount of energy to remain positive, to remain hopeful in the face of all this medication. And it was important, I think, that the audience actually got a sense of that. Yeah, absolutely, because I felt it expresses so so clearly, so eloquently, the role of courage, the role of courage in her life personally, the role of courage for you as a filmmaker in this setting, and the role of courage in your collaborative art, this collaborative collage. It seems to me that courage is such an important part of our lives, but it's also a healthy part of our lives because look at where it brings us. Well, yeah, I mean, making the gift is probably, you know, if one was to frame it in those terms, the most courageous thing I've done. And it also feels like the most meaningful thing I've done. It scared me making it. I off frequently felt I was in over my head uh there, there were moments when I wasn't sure you know if I needed to have an operation myself because of the effect it was having on me uh but I think the end result is worth it because I believe in it and because I believe that other people can watch it and if they if they go with the flow I hope that it can help enrich their lives so yeah it, it, it may be I mean, this idea of courage, it's like, 
I don't think anybody normally describes what they do as courageous or courage. That you know, it, it seems to fall within the same conversation as as heroism. Whereas whenever you talk to somebody who is described as a hero, then they, they, they're like, "Well, no, of course, I just did what had to be done." And and I think courage is a bit like that. It's that with hindsight, it maybe looks courageous, or it can be described in that way. But I think at the time, you're really just doing. You're being driven by a desire for something bigger than your your comfort zone. You 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 can sense that if you can just push a little bit harder, there's something there that is worth aiming for. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because that's made me realise that I I'm not thinking of courage in terms of heroism. I'm not thinking of courage in terms of that accolade. I'm thinking of it in terms of its its function. It's it's kind of this kind of magical dust that finally kicks in that makes us brave enough to do this thing that isn't normally about um, applause or recognition or reward. It's about being able to deliver or do or save this thing, and in, in, in this case, this art effectively or having the courage to respect someone's wishes, because actually this is about Barbara's consent to, to this journey being filmed. Um, so it's a really interesting point you raise, because I don't attach heroism um, as its kind of purpose, if you Of like. course, of course. And, and like, I mean, courage. I mean, it's in our life, it's so easy not to do things. It would have been so easy not to get in touch with people who were, aware of their own mortality. It would have been really easy not to make repeated trips to Hastings. It would have been really easy not to spend a couple of months editing and all that kind of stuff. But I think for me, the reason I do these things that have absolutely no financial reward or incentive is because they help me feel more alive. So I suppose they might be described or perceived at one level as as courageous acts, but really I see them as a means of survival. I think if I didn't do make films about horologists or, or or people like Barbara, then I would feel deeply unfulfilled as a human being and I would question what is the point. Yeah. And I think that's I do think that's what's so valuable about these conversations that where I'm focusing on the role of curiosity and courage in particular in art. I think what you've just described is so significant. And when you relate it to perhaps mindfulness practice and in terms of mindfulness, you know, scientifically proven to show what the benefits are, that we need to draw on courage. We need to draw on curiosity as part of our heartbeat. It's having that purpose, that thing to respond to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> You talk about it's like if there's one thing that being aware of the moment does, it makes you consistently aware of the your automatic negative thoughts, the, those ants that love to crawl around your head. It makes me now aware of the the imposter syndrome that I spoke of. It, it's just all of these these things that are going around in the mind, and unless you develop methods or or the courage to sort of see beyond them as to what you need to do with your life it's it's it just adds so much value to to your existence i feel 
And what's beautiful at the end of uh, the gift, when the film title, The Gift, comes back up, underneath it says, live every moment. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's basically the film in, in, <laughs> in three words. <laughs> live every moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard. It, Was that... Sorry. No, Karen, I was just going to say, was that your choice? But carry on. Yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to live every moment. I mean, it, it, I think it's really easy when you listen to people talking about mindfulness and stuff like that and living in the present moment. Like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, it's... it's it's, But, but really, I don't think anybody truly is living every moment in the present moment but it's definitely worth aspiring to and and i and i really wanted people to i think i think the the idea with the live every moment is that you've watched that film and you have been told effectively that essentially you're still alive you've still got time life is a bit of a collage in and of itself and if you're still breathing then you have an opportunity to change it and shape it in any way you want. So if things aren't going that great, just rearrange the pieces, you know? And and I and I, I really wanted people to, <laughs> without hammering it too heavily over their head, to really come away with that sense of uh, urgency and agency in their own life. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems to me, Barry, that curiosity and courage has clearly led you here now. So where next? Oh, <laughs> it changes a lot. I'm really, it would surprise you to know that I'm really interested in notions of grief. And at the back of my mind, I'm tinkering with the, the there's something about grief that deeply appeals to me. There's, a, there's an idea that sort of drives me, uh, which is this notion of hope in the absence of hope that even in situations where on the face of it, you could look at a human being and their situation, they could appear to be in a completely hopeless, desperate state, that they still somehow manage to find joy and meaning. And I think the reason I'm attracted to the idea of grief is because I really love the idea of trying to make an upbeat, joyous film about this process that somebody can go through a terrible, terrible time, yet come out the other end Hopeful, joyful, alive, but that's just a that's just a that's just a thought. That's just a notion that's going around at the moment. Well, I'll be following with interest as ever. Um, I could. I think we need to do a part two, three, four, five, six <laughs> <laughs> on all of this. I mean, it's crazy. We've you know we've we've been able to touch on just two two maybe of your films you know out of literally hundreds but um the gift was particularly profound um and i thought it really helped raise those ideas of courage and curiosity um i can't thank you enough barry for your time today um i'm sure anyone who's listening would love to know that they can see all of your work on your own website uh, on vimeo just look up barry j gibb um And no doubt there are more and more awards coming your way. Oh, thanks so much, Paula. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you. Oh, bless you.